This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space Radio, a show about courage. The courage to talk about the subjects that are the hardest to bring up, but that we often think about the most. Today is part of our ongoing series about incarceration. During this series, we are inviting you to contact us if you have a story about incarceration that you would like to share. We're calling this new section of the show Echoing Stories, and we're going to be playing them toward the end of this series. So if you or someone you love has been impacted by incarceration and you'd like to share your story, please email me at Dr. Ann, that's D-R-A-N-N-E, at safespaceradio.com. So today I'll be interviewing Liz about her experience in prison. Liz was released literally three days ago. And prior to her incarceration, Liz was a regular law-abiding citizen who worked as a public employee in a town in the Northeast working with affordable housing. She is 57 years old, is married, and has two children. Welcome to Safe Space Radio, Liz. Thank you, Anne. So I'd like to start at the beginning. Here you were, a regular person, mom, married, working, and out of the blue, you get arrested. Tell me the story of what happened. Yeah, it was May of 2012, and it was after a long day at the office. As you said, I was a public employee, and we had some some meetings about affordable housing and other town business, and had gone out with a number of people to a, a local restaurant, and I had too much to drink, and I shouldn't have been driving home. And I, I did, and I hit a stone marker, and the police came and and was arrested for drunk driving. Um, it was my third offense, though the prior two had been over 25 years ago. So I was never, you know, I wasn't a, a, a daily drunk by any stretch, but um, obviously I had some lapse in judgment and drank a little too much uh, when we were out to dinner, and and that's what happened. So you had had two prior offenses well over 25 years ago. Did you have any idea that that would still last on your record? I had an idea, but I wasn't sure, and I assumed that since the others were so long ago and so far in the past that either through you know, having a good lawyer or, or just through the court system that they would have been uh, uh, forgiven you know, in some fashion. I see. Um, and, and they probably would have been. Um, being the public employee and being involved with affordable housing, which has a tendency to be a, a politically charged topic, um, and I lived in a very small town and was employed in a very small town, uh, the media got hold of this information, the arrest, and brought that to the public domain. And many people, you know, I would say, I would say that when I went into prison, 20,000 people knew I was going. So really everyone in the town and some of the surrounding areas were well aware that the public loves this kind of story. And because of the the publicity, it was not possible to reduce the charge of my offense. I see. And, and, and it sounds like that was partly pe- because you were a public figure and maybe partly because opponents of affordable housing wanted to see you punished. Is, is that your sense of it? Yes, both of those things together. Uh-huh. Okay, so from the night of that arrest, how long was it before you actually uh, were admitted into the prison? It was 
13 months. So, you know, various, you know, you go to the arraignment and then the different parts of the legal process. Um, and then we went to trials. So this was May of 2012 when the event happened. And we went to trial at the end of June. So you had a whole um, year to kind of stew and be anxious about it. Right. And, and in that year, because of the, and the publicity around it, it was a very difficult year. Um, it's hard to know what was the hardest part before going in, certainly being admitted into prison and going through the admissions process and shackles and all of that is about as low as you can go. But really the shame and humiliation beforehand of the publicity around it was almost equally as, as difficult. Difficult for the children, difficult for me and those around. How did you try to protect them? It was very difficult. Uh, we had uh, Fox News came in the driveway to interview me through the window, so very invasive. Um, my daughter had uh, friends whose parents at, told her not to, you know, associate anymore. And um, so we talked about what it means to live your values and to stand up with grace in the and when faced with with adversity and how important it is to just show up to life you can't just hide in your bed when these kinds of things happen you just have to show up and hold your head up high and do the best you can even though no doubt part of you really did want to hide in your bed i can imagine oh yes i, I don't think i've cried so much in my entire life all put together yeah <laughs> uh, so so you somehow survive this horrible year, and you find out that, in fact, you are going to have to go to prison. Right. So, um, so we went to trial just because there's no harm in not going to trial. Um, and so, and it's right at the end, and, and there you are, and the judge is looking at you in the eye, and, and she uh, banged her gavel down and, you know, and said, custody now. And that meant that the that the court people, officers, come with the handcuffs right there. And then they just take you out of the courtroom down into the basement where they, you know, that's where you, you go on the way to prison. And I had a number of, of friends and family there, and, and it's, it's, there's just nothing worse. I mean, you, you, you just feel horrible. You know, mm -hmm. again, the shame and humiliation is, is staggering. And do they let you say goodbye? Uh, not really. I mean, you can you can look and say something, but you you can't stop or touch anyone or hugs or any of that kind of thing. And uh, I just remember walking out again, just trying to stand straight and keep my head up high, and just the tears coming down my face and trying not to break down. Yeah. So as you were driving, I can imagine so many things going through your mind. What were you imagining prison was going to be like? Oh, you're so scared. I don't know anyone in my circles who's been to prison, and I didn't know what to expect. Was I, I was scared for my personal safety even, and I had never, ever been scared for my personal safety in my life. How long was your sentence? Um, six months. Uh -huh. And I ended up serving... Uh, 149 days, which is just a day short of five months. So in the scheme of the, you know, the women I met and other people who were there, 
it was really just a blink of a sentence. I mean, I met many women, you know, with five years or, or more, but uh, still it was significant enough for me. So so you, there you are, you're shackled, you're brought in through the wire and the bars, and um, did you have a roommate that first night? Um, yes. So I'd come in, I think by the time I was done, it was probably 8 o'clock at night, by the time I got to uh, the the particular area that I was assigned to. Um, and you walk in and, and you're given, you know, you have all these new clothes and you're, you're bedding and, and you walk in and then there are all these women and you just are lost. You don't know, you know, what to do, what's, how to behave, how, to, you know, do you make eye contact, do you not make eye contact? Um, but I had a very nice roommate and there were a number of other women who came immediately to help and show me the ropes and tell me about, you know, the toothpaste and the, the bathrooms and the showers and, and, you know, all of the things that you need to learn and to give me some, some things to help through the night and the next day. Uh, it was always surprising how regular some of these women were. I hate to use that word, but... You know, you wonder, who, who are the people in prison? There, there were just so many nice, kind women, um, other moms and other people who, you know, probably made some mistakes in their past, but very kind and considerate and, and reaching out when they didn't need to be, but just, uh, just kind. I ended up having, I think in my five months there, 12 different roommates. So I had many different people that I've, you know, been with. I see. So that, I mean, that's almost a shame. So you didn't get a chance to really stay connected long-term with someone during that whole five months. No, and I moved around many times. Um, I think I was in 10 different rooms um, and even in different uh, buildings, probably four different buildings. Mm-hmm. So... And so I'm just I'm just picturing you there. You're showing up. You got all these new clothes. You don't even know whether you should make eye contact. You don't even you don't know if these people are people you should be afraid of or not. Was there a time when you felt this may sound strange to say feel at home, but was there a time when you actually felt comfortable and like you kind of knew how to be? I think it was um, once I moved to the minimum security and I stopped moving around, um, I was able to, at that point I had been around enough and I knew enough people um, to be able to enroll in some of the classes and programs. And I think, as in many places, when you can have that kind of a structure, then you can really settle in, you know what to expect. And... In all the parts of the prison, there were different kinds of classes. They had computers. They had, even for people who had long sentences, you could get your degree from um, a, a university, um, plus the different spiritual and religious programs um, and those it's, kinds of things. It's wonderful to hear that. I, I read Piper Kerman's Orange is the New Black, in yeah. which she basically describes that the, the programs and classes the prison she was at were sort of a joke and kind of awful and really irrelevant. And I gather that was not true for you. Tell me about um, a class that you took that really made a difference for you. Um, there was a 
class called Spiritual Transformation, um, given by a, a man named Bill. And he was a Buddhist Christian and would would help to, or he had a model to, to help you come to some uh, real acceptance for your life situation. So it was a, a ripe topic for people in prisons um, where it's so difficult and total acceptance takes a lot of effort and, and uh, conviction. Um, and he helped, he helped me tremendously um, stop resisting the environment there in prison. It, it's, a, it's a very difficult environment physically. Um, you know, you have the, the roommates and, and those come and go and you never know who you're going to get next. Um, there are fights going on and there's, you know, they would come in with search rooms and they had the, the dogs that would come sniffing out drugs. The noise in prison was something I was not prepared for at all. It's very noisy. And just tensing up at the high decibel level at all hours of the day was difficult. People, you know, screaming and, you know, not in a, not in a scary way, but just talking loudly, I'm going to say. Uh, the food's horrible. You know, all, all of those things. Very easy to go into that environment, as I say, resisting everything and just thinking, I hate this. This is horrible. How am I going to make it through another day? And, and this spiritual transformation class really helped me understand or get to a place where I was able to just let that, accept that and let it, all those difficult parts of my environment sort of roll off my shoulders and to concentrate more on my internal thoughts and to try to come to peace with, uh, I don't know, you know, my situation. So how did how did he help you do that? Because that sounds like that would be very difficult. Um, you know, he talked a lot about how really to be truly happy uh, comes from inside, and to try to change the way you react to your life situation. You're never able to change your life situation or what's happening on the outside, and you can't control that. But how you respond to it makes all the difference. And if you can respond with kindness or acceptance or trust that it'll work out in the end, things are softer. You know, your compassion increases. Uh, your empathy with those around you increases. Um, just work, Just with some of the women who were so difficult just trying to think of their life and what they're going through. You know, in the end, everyone just wants to be happy, no matter what they're portraying on the outside and how they, what their voice is and their, their difficulty is what's going on in their mind. And if they're angry and yelling on the outside, they're angry and yelling at themselves on the inside. And just to try to put yourself in their shoes a little bit. And were you a spiritually oriented person before you went in? Not so much. Not so much. 
So I'm guessing that when you thought about going to prison, the last thing you were imagining is that you'd have an experience of spiritual transformation. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I had, I mean, I I, I should back up. I mean, I I did go to church some. I'm a Unitarian Universalist. Um, I had been going, I have, um, I went in clean and, sober, so I had no, you know, alcohol or drugs or caffeine or cigarettes or anything uh, for a good year before I went into prison. So I went in with a very clean mind and clean head, Um, very different than some of the other women there. So I think I was ready to do some self-examination, and I was ready to change my life. I was ready to think about other things. Certainly, you know, I thought my life was going fine, but still there I was in prison. So obviously something wasn't going fine. I was ready to, to, to try a new approach or to, I don't know, to learn something new. So did you find, in fact, that after that, the rest of your time in prison was different? I mean, did you find that you were more compassionate, in fact? Yeah, and it was I, I found uh, other women who were similarly interested and there were, I would say, about six or seven of us, and we went to this Bill's program. We went to Buddhist meditation together. We went to another spiritual meeting together. We walked for miles around the track and talked each day. Um, people sorted out, in some ways, about what they were interested in in prison. So there were you know, people who... I don't know, went to the gym a lot or people who did other kinds of programs, but this was my cohort that I met. So I imagine that, you know, the the day of your release was ever in your mind, Mm. and I know it's just happened. I'd like to hear a little bit about how you thought about coming home before you did. You know, you'd had this powerful experience of really trying to accept your life as it was and really wanting to change some things, did, did it make you nervous about being able to keep doing that on the outside? Well, um, as I said before, so I went in. People do their time in all different ways, um, but 20,000 people knew I was there. So I didn't, I didn't, you know, some people kind of slink into prison. Um, in fact, I knew many mothers who had never told their children that that's where they were. Um but I didn't have that situation. Um, so many people knew I was there, which had its benefits um, in that I had a lot of visitors. I had a very strong support system, um, and and I'm blessed for that. I'm I'm really fortunate. But it, it did come on the downside of of having such a public awareness of my my prison time. Um, so I was looking forward very much to seeing everybody on the outside, um, but also nervous about, since everyone knew I was in prison, what that was going to be like coming out. Um, In fact, I was just today at, I went to have a little soup and sandwich, and I saw a woman who I hadn't told I was going in, because it was very difficult before going, say, oh, I won't be seeing you for a while because I'm going to prison. I mean, you could tell your family that, but you can't really tell everybody. And she said, oh, I wondered what happened to you, and then I heard. And, you know, I just stopped because I didn't, you know, what do you say? 
well, yeah, I, you know, I've been in prison, and and uh, but then she gave me a big hug, and I didn't have to say anything. So people are more supportive, and even as I'm nervous about talking about it, I find that I'm I'm the one who's more sensitive than maybe other people. So on the other hand, also I, I do want to say that I feel through this experience that I've I've kind of brought the prison experience to my, my the community of my family and friends. What do you mean by that? So I was able to uh, first of people who came to visit, they could actually come in and see. So you come in and you'd see the other inmates there, you'd see who was there. And I could, you know, offer little stories about the different people and um, some of the tragic situations. The very difficult family tragedies there are are just astounding, and the life, the situations of abuse and generations of drug addiction, and where it's brought some of these women, and what's happened to their children, and and all that. Um, plus, it could bring a visual to them. And then through the letters, just writing about what was going on that day, the struggles of getting a sweatshirt um, or getting some long sleeves or, you know, what was happening with the, you know, down in the cafeteria or the kitchen or, you know, the different roommates and the constant shifting and the, the seemingly randomness that you're treated with. Um, What's an example of that? What do you mean by randomness? Um, so one morning I woke up. And they said, okay, you're moving. You're moving to um, a facility, I'm going to say it's like 60 miles away, with no warning. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm moving? You know, you know that they they knew this at least the day before. Like, why would they not tell me? Um, So, you know, you have to pack up all your stuff, and there you go, and you're 60 miles away, and not able to call my husband and tell him, and, you know, that kind of thing. I don't, I'm imagining, too, it sounds like you'd formed this relationships with these women that you were taking this class with, that you were going around the track talking to each other, and you just get ripped away from them without, without being able to say goodbye? Yes, exactly. That's exactly what happened. Um, I was able to then return uh, shortly thereafter uh, because it was such a hardship for my children to come see me so far away at this new facility. Um, so it was just you know, sort of a a short-term kind of disruption. So I was able to get back into my programs and, you know, the the situation I had set up. Uh But that's what I mean about the the randomness. Got it. Um, And I'd like to ask a little bit more about your children. So I understand you have um, teenagers. mm -hmm. And um, what did they tell you about what it was like for them to come visit you there? um, For the first couple of visits, we all cried together. Um, you know, it was just hard. It was hard for me to see them. It was hard for them to see me there. But after after a while, you know, they settled in to their their life, and this was coming to visit me. And I uh, tried hard to be just mom for them. You know, you you when you're in prison, you you it starts to become all about you. When people come to visit, it's how are you doing? What's happening to you? And everyone scared for your safety. Um, but as the mom, I wanted to still be the mom for them and talk less about me and more about what was happening in their life. And it took me a little while to remember to do that. Mm-hmm. I wrote them 
lots of letters. I started making cards for them, cutting out pictures of them on the cards, and, and that was good. Um, though I took one class, I think it was called um, Healthy Relationships. And the teacher there who had been actually teaching in the prison for over 20 years said that while you're there in prison, everyone's concerned about your safety, and they're, they're, especially your children, and they're, they're hiding their, or they're repressing their anger. And when you get home and it's a safe environment, that's when you'll really hear more about how they're really feeling. But they're not really going to show that to you till you're home safe and they're not worried about you. And so is that, has that happened? So I'm waiting. No, I see. It <laughs> but it was good of her to say. I could, I could see that that could happen. Yeah, that um, makes sense. So it gave me some ideas of how to, uh, to try to be the best mom that I could on my return. And having had this experience, did you feel like I have this new knowledge now of things that I would really try to improve for, for prisoners in the future if I could? Any kind of prison reform or something like that? You know, I've, I've wondered about that. I mean, there are so many things. It's such a big system, though. It, it just feels daunting to make any change. Um, you know, on the, on the largest level, mandatory sentencing is unnecessary, in my opinion. Um, there's so many situations that the judge should have flexibility to sentence appropriately. And the mandatory sentencing really is filling up the prisons and holding people there past when, when they need to be. You know, you could have you know, people with violent crimes getting out well before people who were accessories to drug dealers. And it's hard. I know people want to be tough on drugs, tough on crime, and, and it's a, it's politically, uh, and you know, difficult to repeal any of that or to lessen those charges and sentences. But I don't think that it's rehabilitating uh, the people who are there. The the emphasis is not really on rehabilitation, but it's much more punitive and to protect society from the people who are in prison versus helping them to to be productive members of society when they leave. Which is ironic, isn't it? Because one could argue that society needs to be protected more from people with violent crimes than people who are involved in selling drugs. So I want to ask you a couple more things before we end. And one of them is about your future um, employment, because I know, does this, having done this time, are you convicted of a felony by definition? Yes, I am. I'm a felon. And, yeah, so I understand this country has a lot of laws uh, prohibiting felons from doing various things like voting and so on. And I wonder, does it pose a barrier for you to get a job? Could you work for a town at this point, or how does it affect that? You know, I just don't know the answer to that. I, I'm not going to be looking for an employee position, but more as a contracting kind of position. And why is that? What, what's the distinction about that? Well, I think that um, I think that my felon status might be a deterrent, really, as an employee, and a, a contracting position is a, is a little bit more removed from the employer's perspective. Are there other things that you anticipate may be affected by having a record that you are concerned about? Um, as I say, I don't really know the answer to them, um, and that's one of the things that. Um, 
I'm really trying to, you know, you can worry so much about what might happen in the future. And I'm trying not to worry about that and just to take each day as it comes and do the best I can. I have good professional relationships from before, and I'm still the same person with the same professional credentials. So I'm hoping that those will surface in the end. So isn't it wonderful? So what I'm hearing is that the work that you did in prison on accepting and trusting is is going to bear fruit now also. Yes. Yes. I'm hoping. Well, Liz, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for having the courage to speak to me only three days out. I wish you so well as you, you. Um, as you meet more and more of your old acquaintances and hopefully are greeted by more hugs as you do so. Thank you. I've been speaking to Liz, who was three days ago released from prison after being arrested for a drunk driving accident. If you have a story about incarceration in your life or in someone in your family's life that you would like to share in the hopes of helping others or increasing understanding, please email me at drann at safespaceradio.com. Also, if you didn't get to hear this whole show and you'd like to, or if you'd like to send the link to someone else, please go to our website, safespaceradio.com. You can also sign up there to get a weekly email with a link to that week's show. You can download the show from iTunes. You can also like us on Facebook. My thanks today to Gabe Graben for producing the show, Maurice Lennon for the music, and Jim Russell for being our consultant. Coming up next is Speak Freely.